Welcome to the Shalhaba Community Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. So this morning we want to jump into the Word of God, open up your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. We've been delving into the book of Ephesians, going through it verse by verse. Uh, and this morning we're going to continue um, looking at this morning verse number 10. And over the last few weeks I wanted to reiterate again the reasons why, because uh, we looked at the reasons why Paul was writing uh, the book to the church in Ephesians, and it was from the concern that the church was becoming too worldly. So Paul wrote the book of Ephesians because he was concerned about the church's Ephesus, that, that it was becoming too focused on worldly things, right? And I sort of think about that today, and probably we need to all ponder the question that we need to be careful that as followers of Christ, we don't get too caught up on worldly stuff. Amen. So Paul was writing the book of Ephesians out of a concern that they were becoming too worldly. Then we see 30 years on, 33 decades on, Jesus writes to the church through the book of Revelations chapter 2, and he brings the same sort of warning to the, to the Ephesus church as well, that they had lost their first love and now that they were focusing on the wrong things. And his warning to them was that they needed to refocus and recalibrate their lives around their first love in Christ, or if not, he would remove their lampstand. Now, history proves that eventually that's what took place and the Ephesus church was there no more. But this morning, as we, we look at it, what I believe our take home through this is that Jesus, everyone say Jesus. That's pathetic. Jesus. Jesus um, uh, wants, uh, excuse me, Jesus' take home for this is that He's not only interested in what we believe, our doctrine, but he's also very interested in our works, what, what it is that we do. So he doesn't just want us to have a head full of knowledge uh, without a heart full of application. Amen. And these are the things that we've been looking at as we've gone through the book of Ephesians. As we launch into this thought this morning, I believe that we must in our hearts and our minds understand that we don't just become a hearer of the word which is what the church at Ephesians was challenged about. But we're not only hearers of the word, but we're doers of the word as well. Amen. So over the last few weeks, what have we been learning? Uh, we've, we've seen that the Father has chosen us. Amen. Aren't you encouraged by that this morning? We've also learned in our first little bit, not just has the Father chosen us, but the Son has redeemed us. Amen. We've been brought back to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Your salvation was His blood. His blood was your purchase, our, our sale price for your salvation. Amen. Then the third thing that we looked at is that the Holy Spirit has sealed us. And a couple of weeks ago, we saw that we have a holy calling. Amen. A holy calling. I believe this, that God is always speaking to the church. He's always speaking to the church. But the question we must ask is this, if God is always speaking, are we always listening? Are we listening to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us? But more importantly, are we doing what it is that He's asking us to do? As I was preparing this message this morning, the thought came to me, and I believe it was from the Holy Spirit, and the thought was this, partial, partial 
obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. Last Sunday morning, who, uh, who um, anyway, I won't ask. Last Sunday morning, we had Phil Campbell come, which was awesome. Phil, he's the pastor of Harbour Church in Coffs Harbour. What a terrible place to live, eh? <laughs> Nothing like Shell Harbour. i tell you what, we live in... Kaiama's not bad either. And wherever else you come from, we sort of like to. Amen. <laughs> We're all on the same page. But Phil came, and I, 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 when, when guest speakers come, I never tell them what we, we've been speaking about. I, I, just, I would prefer for them to pray, to wait on God, and then to bring a word, right? Phil comes last Sunday morning, and what does he start to talk about? He starts to talk about our calling. He starts to talk about our purpose. He starts to talk about the importance of us getting busy doing the things that we were designed for. What have we been speaking about the last number of weeks as well? You see, there are times where God will speak very clearly and very powerfully to the church, but the question is, are we willing to listen? Too many Christians today, and there's none in this building like that. You're all amazing. But many, many Christians come to church. They hear the word of God. They get excited in their seats. Man alive. I'm just like, I'm ready to go. Glory to God. But we wake up Monday morning and we forget everything that we've heard on the Sunday. God's speaking to his church. He's wanting us to get engaged in his redemptive plan on the planet. Amen. You and I have only got one life. I'm 50, oh, I hate saying it, 54 years of age. I haven't got a lot of time left. Amen. So we need to get busy doing it is what God's designed us for. Your life is so short. The Bible says, I think it's in um, uh, Psalms. Proverbs, it's in the Bible in the Old Testament, but it talks about a hand being just like a whisper, just like a vapour. Our lives are like no, no longer and no larger than our hands. Hmm? Okay. Isaiah? No, it's not. Although, yeah, I better not mess with you. She's, like, <laughs> she's smarter than me. And that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Better help me with a few jokes this morning because we're about to get to the main text, Dolly, in a minute. But you know, it's just a, it's a scary thought to think that we can spend our lives on so many things and yet we're going to discover this morning out of this verse of Scripture. And as we go through this this morning, I want us in our minds to remember the church in Ephesus that was warned about being too worldly. Three decades later, Jesus brings the same warning, but they did not listen and there, therefore no longer was the church there in Ephesus. So the text this morning, the text this morning and the title of my message is this, we are shaped for service. And the theme text is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And it says this, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. Amen. Blessing the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You can all go home now. Hallelujah. Amen. That's the crux of the message right there. That's, that's the very heart of it. But before we go any further this morning and we unwrap this, this scripture here, I just want us to pause for a moment and I want to read out the prayer that Paul was writing to the 
church in Ephesus, the Ephesians church this morning, that they would begin to understand the depth, the depth of God's design and the depth of God's calling upon our lives because he prays this prayer for them this morning and it's our prayer before you, Father. It says that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Amen? So workmanship, the word workmanship, what does it mean? Well, in the dictionary it describes it simply as this, a thing that is made. Workmanship, we are his workmanship. We have been made, designed and shaped by God. You know, it never ceases to amaze me the extent to which God has gone in creating and shaping us into the people that he's called us to be. But I think that often we overlook how much thought and how much, um, um, uh, can't think of the word, but how much thought has gone into each one of our lives. From The Bible says before the foundation of time, before I was born, before my mama and my papa came together, before the earth even spun, before um, God even spoke life and said, let there be life, before any of that took place, you and I were in God's mind and his heart and he prepared and predestined us to fulfill the plan that he had for our lives. Astounding. But often we overlook the work that's involved, amen, the work that's gone into your life, David. You're not an accident. You are a design of God. Hallelujah. Jealous of your hair. You look so good with that hat on. I'm going to put this hat on and I bet you I won't look near as cool as David. Oh, actually, I do feel pretty cool now. Wow, I like that. What do you reckon, Dean? Awesome. Anyway, it's annoying me now. You know, a number of years ago, 2012, we, we promised our children that we'd put in a swimming pool. And so I thought, yeah, no problems. I'm all over that. We can put in an in-ground swimming pool. I'll do it as an owner-builder. I thought it'd be simple. Dig a hole, get the pool, get the pipes, pop it in, and away you go. <laughs> first excavator comes, we get down about six, seven hundred mil of dirt, I'm thinking it's going good, then we hit rock. <laughs> Had to get another excavator in, another five ton jackhammer, for two days they were knocking out rocks. <laughs> I thought it would be easy. But through that journey, I discovered that there's a lot of thought and a lot of work that goes into installing an in-ground swimming pool. Eventually, God's providence came, uh, came to pass and I employed this retired pool maker. Amen. Trevor, his name was. He's retired now, probably after my job. That's all right. But he came. It was amazing. I mean, just the screening, just getting all the sand ready at the bottom before the pool goes in is amazing. The laser levels that are needed to get the whole thing um, set up and then all of the pipe work. You know me, I would have gone to Bunnings and I would have bought some of that blue PVC pipe and the other red stuff to make the pipe stick. But no, it's all high pressure. You need green glue. Amen. Not blue glue. You need green glue. High pressure. High pressure. So thank God for Trevor for coming and helping me to realise that there is a whole lot of work that goes into installing 
an in-ground swimming pool. And the thought this morning is this, just like I underestimated the work involved in installing that swimming pool, often we can forget and overlook how detailed and how complex the creation of each of our lives are. Might think I'm too old, it's too late. Rubbish! You might think I'm too young. Still got pimples. Doesn't matter. Have a look up on the screen this morning. I want to read to you some verses from the book of Psalms. David, I believe, speaking about God's creation. Furthering on Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. But have a look at it this morning. The next screen, if I could. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and acquainted with all of my ways. Acquainted with all of my ways. <laughs> Next one. It says, you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. Woohoo! Come on. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. You know why we don't get that? You know why? Because we don't take the time to really meditate upon the fact that we are a creation of God created with purpose in mind. Your quirks, your funny bits, your annoying bits, your personality, all that stuff about you is what God has created and designed in you. Amen. Hallelujah. So it goes on and says, Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. And skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. <sighs> wow. <laughs> you think I should stop? I can keep going. Keep going. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> And in your book, they are all written. Now listen. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we may walk in them. Listen to it there. And in your book, they were all written. I would propose today that God has his design of your life, of his plan for your life somewhere in a file in heaven. The days fashioned, shaped for me, when as yet there were none of them. My goodness gracious me. My goodness gracious me. I'm not just not an accident, just going down the path of life, the, the trail of life. I've been designed with such purpose in mind. I've been created with such intention in mind. We have been called by God. 
predestined to do great things for God. But we can live our lives on a lower plane and just think, well, God, you know, my life is what it is. No, God has so much for you. Let's move on. The day's fashion for me. Some people are saying, amen. Let's get, get going. When as yet there were none of them. Amen. Love that. So the question we must ask as we have this knowledge in hand is how do we respond? What, what do I do about this? This is doing my head in. It's making my hair fall out. It just does my head in thinking about the enormity of this, what we're talking about here this morning. If God has shaped us in a certain way to complete a certain task, then how should we live? Do we live like life is our own? Do we just enjoy the God way he's created us and use what he's given us just for our own benefits? I'm going to Baptist church next week. I can hear you thinking. <laughs> Do we walk through this life like there are no consequences to how we live it? We can possibly all think of different uh, questions to these, different answers to these questions, but I thought it'd be best for us to look to Scripture to see how God views our lives and what He expects from each of us. Is that all right? And I'll be finished at 11. Is that okay? Uh, this morning, um, you know, this, uh, it's why Paul was like praying, Lord, let, let the eyes of their understanding be enlightened, be illuminated to see the, the enormity of God's plan for a person's life. So how, do we, how should we view it? Jesus speaks, gives us a couple of parables. What's a parable? A, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly application. That's what a parable is. Jesus told them all the time. He'd use a, a, an earthly example with, a, with an eternal application. And we, we start talking about our lives. Well, um, there, there's a peril in John chapter 15 of not bearing fruit, abiding and being fruit producing. So we see in this parable here, we see that Jesus is the vine, the Father is the vine dresser, and we are the branches. Amen. Good parable? Awesome. How do we produce food? How have a fruit? How do we produce fruit? We abide in the vine. Amen. Jesus the vine, we abide in him. But when you read that parable there, there's a couple of quite disturbing parts to it because it talks about how those parts of the branch excuse me parts of the vine that aren't bearing fruit are gathered up and placed in the fire now i'm not saying this morning in any stretch of the imagination that if you're not bearing fruit that that means that you're going to go to hell i'm not saying that whatsoever but i think that if we look at John chapter 15, we can get a pretty healthy understanding that God is wanting a, a, a return from the investment that he's made in you. He's wanting you to get busy bearing fruit. He wants you to get busy doing the things that he's called you to do. If I interpret that correctly, probably need to ask Miss Theology down the end there. <laughs> but I think, I think we're pretty close to the money, yeah? You can go and study it at home during the week. But I think we're pretty close to the money. That's sort of what it's saying. 
you know, I'm, I'm the vine, you're the branches, the father's the vine dresser. Uh, you know, he who bears fruit, the father comes and prunes a little bit more. We all love that. Those that are bearing fruit comes and cut stuff off. So in order that we can bear more fruit, but those that aren't, they gather them up, they throw them into the fire. Hmm. That's the first parable that, that I think that we need to take into consideration. The next one we find in Matthew chapter 25, very similar theme. You can read it. It's the parable of the talents. You can read that during your week in your small group this week, your connect group. You can go and read that. But the parable of the talents, I'll just summarize it really quickly. Um, the parable of the talent, Jesus starts saying, the kingdom of heaven is like this, right? So he's saying, this, this, is, what, this is what heaven is like. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Amen. So it's not just this is what heaven is like there, this is what heaven is meant to be here as well. Right, got it. So Jesus starts the parable by saying the kingdom of heaven is like. Earthly illustration, heavenly application. So Jesus is saying this is what heaven is like. The man was the master over his servant and he was called Lord, right? That's the terminology. The man that was over his servants was called Lord. What's the true, true concept of Lord and master in this context? Well, if you look at the definition of the word Lord there, it says supreme in authority, controller, master or sir. And my question to me and to all of us this morning is this. Is he... Is he? Yeah, I tried to go fishing this week, Friday and Saturday, and it just didn't work out. My boat broke down on two occasions. I thought my wife's going to a colour conference. Ideal time to go fishing. You're not smiling, all right. Um, <laughs> anyway, up five o'clock Friday morning, getting the boat ramp, get out to Bass Point, Pretty humiliating going back to the boat ramp with your electric motor. Anyway, got back, spent all day trying to fix the thing up. Get back there. The next morning, Saturday morning, on the water, it was fantastic. It was dark. We get like 250 metres from the boat ramp. Puh. Don't know what I'm telling you, but I just thought I'd lighten the atmosphere just a little bit. <laughs> Long story short, you know, in all my wisdom again, I thought I had it all fixed up, the boat, you know, did the right thing. Emptied the tank, did all that, da-da-da-da, put the fuel bowl back on. And there's a little black piece at the bottom that I thought you turned clockwise. But what happens when you turn clockwise is you pour all the petrol out of the system. <laughs> so I'm on the water with a couple of mates, my son and another mate, Josh Taylor, and the boat stopped and there's fuel everywhere. It's bad. <laughs> bad. Anyway, we worked out about half an hour. You don't turn it clockwise, you've got to turn it anti-clockwise. Tell you what, she took off like a rocket then, mate. It was awesome. Did we catch any fish? No. But it was an experience. Amen? Little time out. Lord supreme in authority, controller, master and sir. And the thought, as we said, is he. I don't believe that the parable of the talents is focused on just how we use our money, but when you start to look at the original word, it means to bear or to carry. It's talenton. 
It's the presumed derivative of the original word, which means to bear or to carry. This parable is saying God's kingdom is like this. The Lord is God and he is the Lord and the master of our lives. The talents represent he has given each one of us certain gifts and abilities and expects us to go and use them at what he's given us to improve them and even to increase them. The journey represents our lives and how we live in them. The reward represents the end of our lives on the earth and that we are rewarded for what we did with what he gave us. The unprofitable servant represents his servants that don't use wisely what he has entrusted to them. Sorry, a lot in a little bit of time. But you can read it yourself and get a, an overview of some of the big thoughts in there. If I, if, if I was... If I knew someone that was like God, but if I was, if I was God, uh, natural illustration. You know, my, my son down the back there, God bless his cotton socks. My time to embarrass him, amen. But you know, as a father, do you imagine, you know, I, we, we get married and we, we, we fall in love, we fall in love, we get married. <laughs> I'm fi- I tell you, I'll fi- be finished in seven minutes. <laughs> but you know, you get married, you have a child, and then, you know, as a father, you just, you just dream about these plans that you've got. And you save up all your money, and you get everything ready, and you, and you, you know, you, 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 just, you just got what you believe are our most amazing plans. And you want to give them to your son or to your child. And you say, hey, look, you, you know, I've got this ready for you. Um, all this money's prepared. I've been saving it all. There's an inheritance there for you. And I've got these things that I felt that if you did them, you know, it's going to work out so well for your life. And then he goes and lives in a total contrary way. His choice. But me being the father's, the father, I've got the best plan. Amen. I believe it's so true with our father in heaven as well. I wonder, Neil, how he feels when we spend our lives on frivolous things that will never make any difference to eternity. And yet he's been thinking about you for eons. Thinking about you before the foundation of time. I wonder how the father must feel. I wonder sometimes he must go, why? I prepared it. I planned it. It's all there. You want to know the happiest you? It'll be in that zone there. You want to know the most fulfilled you? It'll be in that space there. You want to know the most prosperous you? It'll be in that area there. Heard it said that God is not a socialist, but a capitalist. In that, he expects a return from the investment that he's made into each of our lives. Just going to very briefly share with you this morning, this would normally take weeks to unpack. Unpack. And we won't be doing that. Maybe sometime in the future we'll do. But what I share with you this morning 
gives us a bit of an overview of your unique shape. You were made and fashioned, designed before the foundation of time with a specific shape. Amen. One of the things that God has given you, you'll follow it up on the screen there. It's an acronym, the first one. Uh, you've been endowed with spiritual gifts. Amen. When you were born again, the Bible teaches that you were endowed with doma, a spiritual gift. Really want to encourage you during the course of this week, there'll be gift discovery profiles that Pete will be making available in your connect group. Amen. If you don't know what your spiritual gift is, that's the first part of your unique shape. God has endowed you with a supernatural gift. Amen. When you got born again, God imparted those into your life. Amen. That's the first part of your shape. Hallelujah. The gifts reveal how we serve. The next part of our shape is our heart. It's our inbuilt passions. It's our, uh, the way that God has desired us with our inbuilt passions. Some people are passionate about social justice. Some people are passionate about education. Some people are passionate about kingdom business. Amen. But God has wired each one of us with a particular bent, a passion for areas of the world that he wants us to go and, and, and serve. Amen. What's your passion this morning? Follow your passion this morning. I love Vanuatu. I'm passionate about Vanuatu. Hallelujah. I love going over to Vanuatu. People will start talking to me about Vanuatu and I'll just get excited within myself and go, I can't wait to get there next. And I don't like the food at all. <laughs> I don't. And the heat, man, life, it's just wicked. Not when the team comes in July. No, it'll be awesome. It'll be great. It'll be awesome. But I just love it. It's my passion. Where'd it come from? God put it in me. Amen? God put it in me. You've got a passion as well. God has wired you with a particular passion. Let me read this and I'll be very quickly and then we're done. My heart, the heart represents the core of our desires, hopes, interests, dreams, ambitions and affections. The heart is the seat and the source of all your intentions and motivations, what you love to do and care about most. Your heart is the real you, what you really are, not what others think you are or what circumstances press you to be. The heart is about it. Just as each one of us has a unique heartbeat, so God has given each one of us a unique emotional heartbeat, which signifies our passion in living. What you're passionate about reveals your emotional heartbeat. Find your passion and you'll find your heart. God looks upon the heart and God wants us to serve him out of a heartfelt passion, not out of duty. Hallelujah. I don't have to go to Vanuatu because God's making me to go to Vanuatu. I go to Vanuatu because my heart is wanting to go there. Amen. I go there and I don't care about the food. I don't care about the heat. It's where my heart is. Amen. I come to that space and I come alive. Amen. There's a different me. My hair starts to grow. I get this big beard. I tell you what, I get my walking stick out from Tanner Island. I just walk around like I'm the king. Amen. No, I'm just joking. But see, when you connect with your heart, the passions that God wired in you. That's, that's what God's placed within you. That's what's so unique. You, you might hate the thought of going to Vanuatu. That's all right. That's, that's just your heart. There's nothing wrong with that. You might be more, more connected to other things, other um, mission things or stuff, whatever it might be. So the second one, heart, our passion. The next part of our, our shape, our unique 
shape is our abilities as well. God's given us certain abilities, just like we've been given spiritual abilities. The Bible also teaches that we've been given natural ones. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 6, 4 through to 6, you can read it at some other point, but it talks about how uh, it says different ways of serving and different abilities to perform service. Your abilities are the natural talents you were born with. Some people have a natural ability with words. That's why they come out of the womb talking, amen. They just have a way with words. Other people have a great athletic abilities. Amen. Other people are good um, with mathematics. Um, some people are great with music. Amen. Some people are awesome at fixing things with their hands. Their abilities, that's part of your shape that God's given you. Then your personality, that's another part of our unique shape as well. As I said, it takes weeks to unravel all this, but just giving you an overview on the context of uh, second, second, uh, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. But not only have you been given unique abilities, but also a unique personality. There's a swathe of information out there about your personality, but I like the disc profile. There's the dominant, the direct, the result-oriented, the cut-to-the-chase people. There's the influencing people, the party people, the outgoing, enthusiastic and optimistic. You always want to be around them. Then there's the steady, even-tempered, accommodating and patient people. Then there's the conscientious people, the analytical, the reserved the precise, God's blessed you with your personality style, amen. You've been shaped in a certain way. Hallelujah. It's part of your shape. Part of your shape. Then the last part of our shape is our experiences. God, God uses everything we go through in life as an opportunity to glorify Him. Nothing is wasted in God and every experience we go through, we can use it for good, even though it was a time that was so painful. Romans chapter 8, 26, it says, And we know all things, uh, excuse me, and we know that in all things God works for good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So there's our shape this morning. You've been blessed with spiritual gifts. God's given you an, an inbeat passion, your heart. You've been blessed with natural abilities. You have a certain personality style and you have experiences as well that God can use for his kingdom. Amen. <laughs> Too much information. Anyway, I had fun preparing it. <laughs> I'll finish with this thought this morning. The word workmanship. If you flesh it out a little bit, I did a bit of research around different definitions of the word workmanship. The old English definition of the word workmanship, I'll finish, is this. Poem. You and I are God's poem. Pretty cool, eh? God's poem. Hallelujah. Poem. Doesn't matter how young, how old. Where God's poem. I love that. I'm not even going to show you this green card this morning. Whatever it is that he's calling you to do, get busy doing it. Remember what we said in the third week. Jesus wants us to employ our unique shape in joining with him 
in His redemptive purposes on the earth. And that's right. We get the privilege of joining with Him. Remember what we said, that we are called by God? Remember the definition that we said? The word calling means invitation. He calls us, invites us. If I could just have the band back up this morning. Calls us and invites us. And the question this morning to all of us is, are we taking up the invitation? Amen? Are we taking up the invitation? For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He prepared, preordained before the foundation of time so that we might walk in them. <laughs> what does that mean to you today? What does that look like for you today? How do you apply that to your life today? Remember we said Paul was concerned about too much of a focus on worldliness. Jesus was so focused, excuse me, so concerned that they'd lost their way. Jesus commended the Ephesus church in Revelations chapter 2 because they had great doctrine. He said, I know you call out false teachers. I, I know that you're on guard for dodgy theology. But he goes on to say, but this I have against you. You've walked away. You've forgotten. You've cast aside your first love. Knowledge and application. I'm his poem. How am I outworking that in my day-to-day -day life? There's a great Hillsong church in Wollongong too, you know. You don't have to come here every Sunday. If you, you know. But I just feel to tell it as it is, amen. It's such a big deal. And don't let for one minute the enemy come and think, oh, I've missed it. Or I've lost it. Don't let the enemy lie to you. Get before Jesus and just ask him again to reignite that passion for him. Amen? Because he will. He will do that. But don't let the devil lie to you and condemn you. Tell him to, to go in Jesus' name. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Come to him. Open up my eyes, Lord. Like Paul prayed for the Ephesians church. Open my eyes to see. Let's all pray. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning. We just love what you're communicating to us through the word today. Lord, we just refuse any condemnation from the enemy. We, we just reject it. We know that at every stage in our lives, that your plan and your purposes for our lives, the calling is there, Lord. We learnt probably our second week that the gifts of God and the calling of God are irrevocable. You don't take it away. You don't say, oh, it's too late, God. No, you're just encouraging us in the Holy Spirit today to pick up that call to follow you. So, Lord, we just thank you this morning. I just pray you speak to our hearts. Help us this morning, Lord. Bless you. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Bless you, Steve. Thank you too much.